Hello friends, always delighted that you are joining me. And today I have a fantastic conversation that you are not going to want to miss. I have two members of Congress with me today, one Republican and one Democrat, and we are going to talk about matters that divide us and what we can do about them. So let's dive in. I'm Sharon McMahon, and welcome to the Sharon Says So podcast. Thank you both so much for being here. This is absolutely delightful. I'm joined today by Representative Dean Phillips and Representative Brian Fitzpatrick. Thank you. Great to be here, Sharon. Thanks for having us. Thanks. Yes. So Dean, I'd love to start with you. Tell everybody where you're from and how you ended up in Congress. (laughs) It's a lot easier to tell you where I'm from than how I ended up in Congress, (laughs) but I'm a, I'm a lifelong Minnesotan and Mm. uh, uh, born in St. Paul. I lost my birth father, Artie Peffer, in the Vietnam War when I was just six months old and uh, was and adopted by a couple years later into a remarkable family, the Phillips family. I've lived on both sides of advantage, which very much illuminates my work in Congress. And I was watching the 2016 campaign, the presidential campaign, watched election night with my daughters. And it was an epiphany that night, uh, not just the results of the election for me personally, but the tenor and tone of the campaign, how we've devolved into such rancor and division and disrespect. And I thought rather than be a complainer, I taught my daughters to be participants. And Mm -hmm. I decided I would try to do something. I promised them the next morning that I would try to do something. That became a run for Congress and I was successful. And now Mm -hmm. I get to work with dear friends like Brian Fitzpatrick on the other side of the aisle to try to bring a little bit of that respect and decency back to a place that needs it. Mm, I love that. I'd love to hear from you too, Brian, about how you ended up in Congress and tell everybody where you're from too. Yeah, thanks for having us, Sharon. Uh, Brian Fitzpatrick, I'm from Pennsylvania's first district, which is just outside of my birth city of Philadelphia. So I represent my hometown in Bucks County, Pennsylvania. I spent my entire adult career, professional career, both as a federal prosecutor uh, and as an FBI agent. I started in New York City. I ended in Los Angeles and pretty much serve everywhere in between, including overseas throughout Europe and Africa and Asia and the Middle East. My last assignment was in Kiev, uh, Ukraine, uh, mm-hmm. where I worked out of the embassy there. My late brother, Mike, was my predecessor in the seat. And I never planned on doing this, but when my brother was diagnosed with cancer and and it was an advanced diagnosis, so we knew that he didn't have much more time. He and I had a conversation when I was back home for Thanksgiving and made a last minute decision, you know, it was a family decision to come back home to Bucks County and to to run. And what motivated me, you know, obviously the family considerations, but moreover, much of what Dean said is, you know, my desire to have government function like our personal relationships do. I think it's really important because there are a lot of people, you see them conduct themselves in Congress and you wonder, well, how do they conduct themselves at home? It can't be this way because they would not have a functional relationship if they did. And that's where I think what should be the genesis and the, and the baseline for how we treat each other. But never forgetting how short life is. We forget that sometimes. And both Dean and I have learned that painfully, that sometimes we think things are important that really aren't. And the most important thing is treating each other civilly and respectfully. And that's what our caucus is about. Okay. So a lot of people are very confused about what a caucus even is. So Dean, I'd love to hear you tell us a little bit more about congressional caucuses and about the caucus that both of you belong to. So a caucus is just a group of people that self-select to work together. And it's no different than a small community. In the Problem Solvers Caucus, of which uh, Brian is the co-chair and as the Republican lead on the entire caucus, I'm a vice chair on the Democratic side. 
We are people who decided that uh, bipartisanship matters, uh, that we have to find common ground uh, for the common good, and we get together and get to know each other. The first step in trusting one another and working together is getting to know each other, breaking bread and sharing our life stories and understanding the lens through which we view uh, life and policy and, and the world. And we're just one of many, many caucuses. There are probably too many to count, some more active than others. We have the Democratic Caucus, the Republican Conference, and then all these different sub-caucuses based on interests. But I think the most important caucus in the entire Congress is ours because we're there to solve problems. We're not there to divide and to demean and be mean-spirited, rather to, to work together. And that's uh, what it's about. And as messy as Congress is, it requires groups to get together and work together if we're going to get anything done. So caucusing is a terribly important function in the U.S. Congress as it is in any community. Brian, what is what does it mean to be the co-chair of a caucus? What does that look like from a responsibility perspective? What are you doing to help shape that caucus or recruit members? People are very curious about behind the scenes information. Yeah. So Dean and I are both part of the leadership team. So there's uh, two co-chairs and then there's three Republican vice chairs and three Democrat vice chairs. And we're all part of the leadership team. And, and we you know select guest speakers to come in and talk. We've had some amazing, fascinating people. We've had Tony Blair come in. We've had uh, NASA administrator Nelson come in. We've had Pat Geisinger, the CEO of Intel. We've had the CEO of, of Google. We've had some amazing people come in and share their life stories. And we try to bring them in timely which is relevant to whatever Congress might be considering. And, and Sharon, it's worth noting that uh, when Tony Blair came to visit, I mean, a, a former world leader, prime minister of the United Kingdom, he said something that was really an epiphany for a lot of us. And he said that, you know, as Americans become unable to disagree without being disagreeable, as they become unable to um, bridge gaps and find common ground, it's not just a national security threat to the United States, but to the entire world. And that really hit a lot of us hard that it becomes our responsibility, not just we in Congress, uh, but everybody, no matter your politics, uh, there's something a whole lot more important than winning political battles. Uh, and that's preservation of this extraordinary experiment. And it really is. That's such an interesting point too. I know that I have spoken to my members of my community about that topic before, that the idea that listening to understand is actually a matter of national security. Yeah. It is not just about who do I want to have over for pie on Saturday afternoon. It truly is about the preservation of the Republic. And by extension, the preservation of the Republic impacts the rest of the world. Absolutely. Mm. Well said, Sharon. And I always, I just had a, a speech with the Chamber of Commerce this morning and this topic came up and I reminded everybody that there's three things we should all remember. We live in a very small world that's getting smaller every day. We live in a very dangerous world and unfortunately it's getting more dangerous. And, and third, we're a very young country. The United States is only 245 years old and yet we are the world's oldest democracy. Think about that. It, there, there's no democracy on this planet that survived just more than a few generations and it's not a given. And, and how many of us take that for granted? I think we're all guilty of that. We can't fathom living in a world where we're not, the, the dollar is not the, the currency standard. We can't fathom living in a world where we're not the world's military and economic superpower, but yet that's not a given. So every time I see my colleagues, and I know Dean feels the same way, attacking each other personally, I've actually gone up to them on the floor and told them, if you're conducting yourself in a way that's making Vladimir Putin happy or is using Xi Jinping mm -hmm. happy, you ought to be second guessing your decisions. 
Mm. It's so, so true. And, you know, and considering the age of our democracy and, and Brian's so right, you know, we're kind of a teenager amongst adults when you look mm -hmm. at world history. And sadly, we are acting like it well too often, especially <laughs> those, those moms listening or who are mothers of teenagers know exactly what I'm talking about. Mm -hmm. We've got to rectify that and recognize our relative youth in a world with a lot of a longer history. Normally, being a little extra can be a bit much. But when it comes to healthcare, it pays to be extra. And United Healthcare makes it easy with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they supplement your primary plan, helping you manage out-of-pocket costs without the usual requirements and restrictions like deductibles and enrollment periods. So when it comes to covering your medical bills, you can feel good about being a little extra. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. There's a long running joke on my uh, platform because I am not a fan of Vladimir Putin and I do not bids words about it. And people message me regularly where they're like, I need you to stop talking about that because I'm afraid for your safety. Mm. <laughs> they, they legitimately feel that like, you need to stop, you know, you need to stop saying that. And you are, uh, you're, I don't, I don't want anything to happen to you. So I joke, I joke about like, oh, I'm sure, it, you know, something bad happened. My car wouldn't start. Putin did it. You know what I mean? Like I joke about that, uh, but my mom even has been like, Sharon, I don't like it. <laughs> you need to, mm. but I love well, Sharon, at least if you're banned, if you're banned to Siberia, at least you'll be used to the weather. That's, the, that's, the good <laughs> that's right. But I love what you said. If you are conducting yourself in a way that makes Vladimir Putin happy, rethink, Yeah. rethink your choices. And of course, one of his big, you would, you would know having served in the region, Brian, that one of his primary joys in life is sowing division yep. <laughs> and that is what it. and he's good at it yep. and if he can get germany to bow out of nato agreements etc then that's great you know like he enjoys that uh, yeah i'm going to put that on a t-shirt if you are conducting yourself in a way that putin likes rethink your choices rethink it rethink it <laughs> yeah that, that's yes. so that's so so true we We've got to recognize that we don't want to be pawns. And, you know, if you look at China's intentions, Russia's, North Korea's, Iran, 
as Brian said, they know they can't beat us with bullets, mm -hmm. uh, but they can beat us with division. And they're not only have they been recently successful, that will breed upon itself and they will try harder. And it's up to us. Mm -hmm. It's not up to them. It's up to us. Mm -hmm. And we all have a responsibility here that's far more important than any policy or political victory, because if we don't preserve this, uh, there isn't nothing. And one of the things I think people maybe don't realize or have glossed over is that the tools with which people who would seek to harm us, as you mentioned, they're not tanks. They are not planes dropping weapons at this juncture. In large part, they're digital tools. Yeah. They are election interference. They are misinformation campaigns. They are cyber attacks. It's not bombs falling from the sky. It's more insidious and more difficult to see in many cases. That's so true. You know, mm -hmm. one of the problems is that they plant these seeds of division. You know, they're sitting in, in Moscow or in, in Beijing or uh, Tehran, and they plant seeds of division on Facebook. And unfortunately, too many of us are sitting on computers or in front of phones or television screens and we accept what we see as the gospel instead of walking across the street to the neighbor's house and having a cup of coffee and talking about it talking it out just as brian said uh, we both practice that in congress you know if we're disappointed in somebody my first step is always to talk to them face to face not just to go on twitter there was a time brian you remember when my party's congressional campaign committee ran an ad in pennsylvania against brian calling him all kinds of mean-spirited, obnoxious things. Uh, and I, I approached the person who was responsible for it, you know, on my side of the aisle to say, that's just wrong. Mm -hmm. You know, and if we're going to be people of truth and a party, hopefully of truth, you know, we got to practice what we preach. And each one of us has those experiences in the course of our lifetimes and probably in the course of our uh, daily experience. And if we just take a step in that direction, talking to people face-to-face uh, -face, instead of over Twitter or Facebook or Instagram, we'd be a better country. And that's something we've got to work on uh, collectively. And I, and I appreciate you, I appreciate you doing that, Dean. And it's, it's uh, exhibit A of the character you have. Mm. Well, you're, you're worthy of it. Mm. Very few people's minds are changed after reading a mean tweet. <laughs> no, nobody is like, wow, I really had an epiphany. I'm a better person. I've changed my position after engaging in a fight on social media. That is not right. how change occurs in society. It does the opposite. It hardens right. hearts. I mean, it just right. does the opposite. Yeah. That's what's so shameful. My grandfather always told me you get more bees with honey. It's drilled into my head. <laughs> just to elaborate on and expand on what Dean was saying, um, Xi Jinping went so far as to identify what he calls the five spheres of American influence. He identified them as um, traditional media, big tech slash social media, uh, academia, Hollywood slash entertainment and professional sports. So when he was saying you're, you got to beat America from within, part of what they do, part of what Vladimir Putin does with propaganda, with cyber warfare, is to try to erode those institutions or hijack those institutions mm -hmm. yeah. um, mm -hmm. to use that to turn American on American. And social media is at the top of that list, as you know, and it's very dangerous. You know, social media does some wonderful things. It connects people that are long lost that haven't otherwise wouldn't connect. Sometimes it assists in spreading freedom and democracy throughout the world, but it also can pose a threat to democracy when it's used for misinformation and turning people against each other. And that's really a big challenge that we have to deal with right now. Sure so true. I would love to hear from your perspective, Brian, what can 
an American who cares about the preservation of the Republic, but who does not have the power of being a voting member of Congress, who doesn't have the ability to influence legislation. Well, I would say two things. Number one, in this country, the power resides with the people. Dean and I, our job is to be a, a, a voice on behalf of 700 to 800,000 people and do it the best we can. But we're just reflecting their voice. That's our job. The power does reside with the people. So my first advice would be get engaged. Sit down with your member of Congress. If any represent, if anyone in our district, and the same with, goes with Dean, if you have some issue that you want to help solve and it, it, a, legislate, a piece of legislation can help fix it, come in and sit down with us. Work with our legislative staffs and we'll try to put something together. That's uh, the first thing. And second is we all need to be leaders in our own right. I've always thought that with all the threats and challenges that we face globally with cyber warfare and terrorism and, and domestically all the economic challenges, I think the biggest threat that we face, the biggest challenge we face is how we talk to each other. And that's mm -hmm. everywhere from the kitchen table to the White House and everywhere in between. Mm -hmm. So if you're doing your own part at your own kitchen table and in your own backyard and with your own uh, circle of friends to be a leader and not criticize, but appeal to the better angels of people's nature, that can be contagious and it can spread. And I think mm -hmm. it's all of our job to do that. Yeah. And Sharon, you're, you're an educator. I mean, you, know, you teach critical thinking. You know, we all have to be critical thinkers. Brian's grandpa said, you, know, you attract more bees with honey. And mine said, if two people always agree, you only need one of them. And mm -hmm. the whole notion, what he was trying to express is that you know, it, there's some joy in finding different perspectives. I have my life experience. That's all I have. There's joy in listening to other people and learning from their experience and recognizing our blessings, our challenges, and that everybody else brings the same thing to the table. And to celebrate that is really important. You know, if you're a Democrat, you can challenge your Democratic representative to be more decent. If you're a Republican, you can challenge your Republican representative to be more decent. One of the things that people want to know is when or why do you think it became disadvantageous for members of Congress to try to work with members of other parties? It used to be, if you look back at Congress's voting record throughout the centuries, a good chunk of the legislation that passed had support from people on both sides of the political spectrum. And that has now shifted where things are divided along such strongly divided along political lines. And it is in some ways considered a very big liability, political liability for a member of Congress to work with somebody outside their own party. Why do you think that is? God, I think it's a, it's a lot to unpack. If I were diagnosing it, I would say that we all grew up with one or two hours of news every day. You watched, you know, Walter Cronkite or whatever it was, and you went back and spent time with your family and you interacted in person. Now we have 24 hour cable news where you're, you're going to a news station to validate your already existing beliefs rather than cross-examining your existing paradigms. And then same with social media. I think we're reinforcing and solidifying and hardening our viewpoints. And I think a lot of it also is we need to be consciously more intellectually curious. When I was an FBI agent before I was in Congress, we had a, a hiring model that we actively sought diversity in every way you can have diversity, experiences, all sorts of things, because we wanted that collective diversity of thought to shape our investigative plans, to help us get one step ahead of that criminal and protect our country. And when we are at a point where we're not viewing diversity of thought as a strength, we're viewing mm -hmm. it as a weakness, and everybody's putting on their jerseys and 
that's just not what we believe. That's not what our caucus is about. We believe in two-party solutions. We don't believe in one-party solutions. We think that diversity of thought is a strength to be harnessed, not a weakness to be criticized. We don't mm -hmm. attack each other personally. When did that transition occur? I think it occurred in, in a combination of two things. As technology has evolved, I think that's been a contributing factor. And I also think we've had a lot of elected leaders in recent years across the board that haven't realized that once you're elected, you have to be a voice for everybody that you represent, not just one party, not just people that voted for you. When Dean and I get sworn in, we take an oath to represent, to defend the constitution, and to represent our entire districts. Exactly. Dean doesn't just represent Democrats. I don't just represent Republicans. But when you have elected officials that view themselves as only representing the part, the half of their district and not all of it, then they're going to legislate accordingly. And I think that's a huge problem. You know, and it's also worth noting that uh, we're somewhat unique amongst the world's democracies and that we don't have a lot of political competition. We've got two major parties and it is essentially a duopoly. And I think ultimately that's a problem. You know, I, I'm a proud Democrat. Brian's a proud Republican. But we both know that there are lots of shades uh, mm -hmm. in that kind of that continue, continuum, if you will, on, on both sides. But you've got to choose one. You know, at this mm -hmm. stage in our country's history, you know, the only way to be elected for the most part is to be a Democrat or Republican. Our system makes it difficult for independent thinkers, perhaps new parties to form. I happen to be a very big proponent of ranked choice voting because I think that starts opening the door to political competition. And I believe deeply, as a lot of most Republicans do, that competition provides better value and better ideas. And it's the same truth in politics. Yet our system limits that innovation, if anything, forces you to choose between one side or the other. And look, at we're a competitive nation. That's actually one thing that makes us outstanding. Uh, but when we take it so far, when it becomes more about winning than about doing and representing, that's terribly problematic. And that's how it works. Brian and I both work hard with a lot of challenges to become to be more independent thinking. You know, we don't get a lot of accolades, let me assure you, from no, our colleagues no. on either side of the aisle for doing our work together, because some call that you know, being some type of a political traitor if you work with the other side. I think it's just the opposite. You're being a traitor in some ways to the country if you refuse to. And that's mm -hmm. something that I, I feel strongly that we have to convey to people and model the behavior that we expect of others. A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. We've all had those embarrassing moments where maybe you've taken your shoes off and you realize like, oh no, oh no, that is not a good smell. Fortunately, Lumi Whole Body Deodorant is making it so none of us ever have to worry about that again. Unlike certain other products, Lumi is powered by mandelic acid to control odor in a new way. It delivers outrageous 72-hour odor control everywhere one might like to use it. In fact, it was patients' concerns about odor that originally inspired the OBGYN who invented Lumi. Fast forward six years and her game-changing whole body deodorant now has over 300,000 five-star reviews. And it works without using heavy perfumes that mask odor, which I really appreciate. Lumi's starter pack is perfect for new customers. It comes with a solid stick deodorant, cream tube deodorant, which is my favorite, and two free products of your choice, like deodorant wipes or a mini body wash. 
It also has free shipping. And as a special offer for listeners, new customers get 15% off all Lumi products with our exclusive code. And if you combine the 15% off with the already discounted starter pack, that's like 40% off their starter pack. So use code SHARON at lumideodorant.com. That's L-U-M-E-D-E-O-D-O-R-A-N-T.com. Mother's Day is almost here. And I want to take just a quick second to appreciate not only my mom, all the moms out there, but anyone who has taken on the role of caregiver. You do everything for someone else. And now it's time to do something for yourself. And that includes starting with your skin. And I've been using our sponsor OneSkins products for a while now. And I have to tell you, I am really enjoying them. They are very easy to incorporate into my skincare routine. I am really liking the eye cream. And the secret is OneSkin's proprietary OS1 peptide. It is the first ingredient proven to switch off the aging cells that cause lines, wrinkles, and thinning skin. And they have several studies to back it up. OneSkin is the world's first skin longevity company. By focusing on the cellular aspects of aging, OneSkin keeps your skin looking and acting younger for longer. Get started today with 15% off using code SHARON at oneskin.co. That's 15% off oneskin.co with code SHARON. And after your purchase, they'll ask where you heard about them. Please support this show and tell them we sent you. What has working across the aisle cost you? If anything, what does it cost you politically, Brian? It's given me a lot of gray hair. I'll tell you that. Um, <laughs> but I didn't have it before I started doing this. Uh, I'll give you the most recent, recent example, Sharon. Speaking of bipartisanship, there was a huge infrastructure bill that was voted on. And I provided a, a chunk of the votes to get it across the finish line. And it wasn't just gravy. It wasn't votes piled on and already build a bill that was already going to pass. It was actually outcome determinative. And you can imagine the, the backlash that myself, my 12 colleagues got for doing that. So what's the cost? You got, you got to deal with a lot. It, it's sort of, it, it, it's connected to your earlier question about why everything's got to be red and blue. When you try to cross the aisle to do something that's good for your country and, and politics be damned, you get a lot of people that are hardening their political beliefs and that are ideological purists that take offense to that and they let you have it. Our office lines were blowing up right after that because people just didn't want to give a certain individual a win, a political mm -hmm. win. And that's just not how we think. We th we're about what's good or bad for our country, not how it's going to help or hurt any ind individual politician or elected official. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I'll tell you, Sharon, I think one of the, the greatest toll it takes politically and it affects the whole country is that those who wish to work together, those who you know, bring some common sense uh, to Washington, tend not to be the ones that are elected to leadership posts, tend not to be the ones that can ascend in a presidential primary, for example. We are rewarding purists. It becomes extreme. And the sad truth is our system right now does not afford opportunities for leadership to those who are, the word centrists or moderates is a little bit of a strange word. But the point is that you're representing the broad middle of the country, which is, by the way, the most people in the country. And that's the political toll it takes. If you're willing to work with others, uh, somehow that precludes most from ascending the ladder. And too many people recognize if you want to be the majority leader or the Speaker of the House or even a President of the United States, a U.S. Senator, if you look at the 
the migration of principle amongst people who seem so reasonable and decent in most of their life, then they run for office and they become entirely different people because they are pandering to the system that requires you know, a purist point of view when in fact the country is actually demanding reason. And that's something we really have to reckon with. Why do you think that is? Is it really, is it money? Is it fundraising? Is it that the the most polarizing rhetoric gets them the most views on a on a Twitter post and thus they're able to raise $5 from thousands more people? What is the reason for that in your opinion? <laughs> It's, there's no question, it, and it just sickens me that those who are most prominent nationally, those that develop the most social media followings, those that are raising the most money, mm-hmm. are doing so with a very simple tactic, and that is just mean-spirited, aggressive condemnation, fear-mongering, and misery. And the mm-hmm. sad thing is it works. And the money, you know, I, look at money is the lifeblood of U.S. politics. I mean, that is true. To introduce yourself to campaign, it costs a lot of money. But, you know, our colleagues are spending 10,000 hours per week collectively in the U.S. Congress raising money. And I think those are 10,000 hours a week that should be dedicated to getting to know each other and to learning policy and to meeting your constituents. And I think that's at the root of a lot. You asked what the root is. I think a lot of people feel really disconnected, disenfranchised. Their voice doesn't matter. Rural Americans being ignored for all intents and purposes. You know, our job is to listen to everybody. And I think the money is a big part of the problem. And it also could be a big part of the solution if we change uh, how we go about raising it uh, and using it. Mm. Brian, how do you think we should change money in politics in the United States? What kind of changes would you advocate for? So limiting the amount of money in campaigns in a way that we got to figure out that's consistent with the First Amendment. You know, that's always the trick is a constitutional issue there. But I couldn't agree more with Dean. I took a trip with a group called Center Forward over in Ireland, and I was talking to a, a state senator there who had just got done his reelection campaign. I asked him how much his race costs, and he said it was about $30,000. It's just remarkable, you know, and that's the way it should be, quite frankly. So we got to figure out a way to, as Dean said, I mean, you have very few people exerting an exorbitant amount of influence, a lopsided mm-hmm. amount of influence in that. Mm-hmm. Furthering on what Dean said, I mean, you have two types of individuals in Congress. You have legislators and you have entertainers. You have workhorses and you have show horses. Dean and I are legislators and workhorses. We're not the ones that are, you know, going to get a ton of uh, social media followers. We're not the one that's on cable news every night. And quite frankly, a lot of cable news hosts are doing the same thing that some of our colleagues are doing. They're mm-hmm. trading on a vision. They're profiteering mm-hmm. off of the vision. And that division is putting our democracy at risk. Mm. It's, it's, and for people to, to go into Congress, which is a tremendous honor, to be the voice for seven, 800,000 people, to have a place in US history and to have a voice in our nation. And rather than try to make your country a better place, you're trading on that for mm-hmm. personal profit or personal attention is beyond unbecoming of the office. And the solution to that is those people, we need to stop electing people like that mm-hmm. to Congress. And the, the way we stop electing people like that is for all your viewers and listeners to start demanding when they when yep. they are vetting candidates, who's, who's going to bring civility and respect to the office, not who's throwing more red meat at them. Yeah, just because the law says you can do something doesn't mean it's the right thing to do. You know, just because the law says you can be mean-spirited and can 
con, you know, condemn people and be angry and aggressive towards them doesn't mean it's the nice and appropriate thing to do. Same thing in campaign finance. It's hard to change the laws. I mean, Brian and I have you know, investigated ways to do so. It's awfully complicated. But that doesn't preclude candidates from doing it differently. It doesn't preclude our two major parties from finding some common ground in the best interest of the nation to change the dynamics and have some standards of and standards of behavior, if you will, to use facts and truth in political advertising, you know, to, to, to rein in the amount of time that is spent. We can do that ourselves, but it takes both major parties, you know, and the players on those teams to come to that conclusion. Uh, but just because the law says it's okay doesn't mean it is. And I wish more people I would recognize that. And uh, I wish more candidates, frankly, uh, Democrats and Republicans, even those in, you know, competing against one another in, in a race would maybe take that step. It would be transformational to the country. And I'd like to see that rewarded rather than punished. That's so true. Just because you have the First Amendment right to insult somebody's mother doesn't mean it's the right thing to do. Right. <laughs> right. Mm. Sure as heck shouldn't be rewarded. Right. That's right. You shouldn't insult somebody's mother and then make millions of dollars on that. <laughs> People also really want to know if they have a policy that they or a bill that they are really passionate about, what is the best way for them to advocate for change? Because it feels like the, the notion of like, well, call your congressperson. It seems like, well, that does nothing. Or what if my congressperson is one of the people who is uh, just trading on inflammatory rhetoric? Or what if I just, what if I already done that and nothing happens? I would love to hear from each of you. What advice would you give to your constituents who care passionately about an issue that would like to see Congress take action on? I'll start with you, Brian. What could your constituents do to advocate for change? Sure. So th this is the case with uh, a whole host of issues where you have a group of individuals, concerned citizens that rally around each other. Uh, they form a, an organization, they form a social media group, and they advocate uh, for that issue, and I think it involves getting to know their member of Congress and the member of Congress staff who are responsible for that type of portfolio, whatever that issue may be. That's the way we do it here. If there's a, a constituent who wants to advocate for or against legislation, we meet with them all the time. We meet with groups all the time. Sometimes we'll go to them. That's the way to do it, is you have to engage with your representative because any representative that's doing his or her job will always listen to constituents, will factor that into their decision-making and, and, um, and will recognize that the, the, the people are the boss. You know, Dean and I are not the boss, we're the servant, we're the public servant. We're, we're beneath the people, the people are the one at the top, we're, we're supposed to be reporting to them. That's the way the system works. Mm. If I could say the squeaky wheel gets the grease, I mean, we've all learned that our whole lives and there's truth to it. Every voice matters, but we live in a country of 325 million people, lots of loud voices. I recognize that when you're uh, one voice, uh, it's a little tough. You need a chorus. Mm -hmm. If something's terribly important to you, get some people together at a kitchen table in the living room, commit to working together to elevate your voices to you know, be a chorus. And I can tell you, and I'm sure Brian too, there are a lot of highly paid lobbyists that come to Washington and want time with members of Congress. They're extraordinarily influential, too influential if you ask me. Some of the most impactful lobbying I've ever been subject to is from young people, from kids. In fact, even a, a very Minnesota-centric, uh, the Save the Boundary Waters crew. Uh, mm -hmm. When young people come to Washington, take, make that journey, 
speak to us about their concerns, whether it's about you know, climate change or gun violence or you know, the future or education, it's extraordinarily impactful to us because Brian and I recognize our service to the public is about now, there's no question, but real leadership means we're making decisions to preserve and protect and enhance the futures of kids and grandkids. Uh, and that's something to keep in mind is that your voices do matter. And I assure you, just like Brian, people who want some time with us, they get it. You know, my staff is wonderfully dedicated to opening doors to people. And yes, your phone call matters, by the way. You know, Brian and I both have staff that answer the phones, read the mail, look at the emails. They aggregate what issues are seemingly important to people. And we get that report all the time. And it actually absolutely influences me. So yes, it matters. It really matters. It's powered numbers. The squeaky wheel gets the grease. Learn how the system works so that you can operate within it. But do I have that? Uh, do I have well that? Said. Have, if you don't know how the system works, that's part of what I do is trying to teach yep. people how the system works because it's very, very difficult to win a game if you don't know the rules. Yep. <laughs> Not that True. it's a game to be won, but it's the same idea. You have to know what the rules are in order to be a player. And if I could say one more thing about, you know, Brian has town halls, I have town halls, I have community gatherings, Brian has community gatherings. It saddens me sometimes how people love to fight online and on social media, but when, when actually afforded the opportunity to come to a community gathering, to get an update from their member of Congress, to engage in maybe a little debate, ask a question, you know, a handful of people often turn out. You know, mm -hmm. I, I lament the fact that Americans have kind of moved on from uh, the times where you got together with people of all perspectives and you met your member of Congress or your city council member or your state representative and shared perspective. And it feeds upon itself. When constituents demand time, members of Congress and legislators will afford it. But when they host events and a handful of people turn up, it kind of sends a message that it's not important. So it goes both ways. And I really do encourage people to share perspective, share your disappointments, you know, share your criticisms, and most importantly, share your ideas. Hi, friends. It's Sharon. If you enjoyed a recent episode with author and public theologian Issa Macaulay, then I have the perfect podcast recommendation for you. No Small Endeavor. Produced by Great Feeling Studios and PRX, No Small Endeavor is an acclaimed podcast series that explores what it means to live a good life. Each episode, host and award-winning theologian Lee C. Camp brings you thoughtful conversations with artists, philosophers, politicians, and theologians like Hollywood legend Rob Reiner and civil rights hero Reverend James Lawson about what it means to find true happiness and flourish in our everyday life. So don't miss out. Follow No Small Endeavor on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you're listening now. And tell them I sent you. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Normally, being a little extra can be a bit much. But when it comes to health care, it pays to be extra. 
And United Healthcare makes it easy with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they supplement your primary plan, helping you manage out-of-pocket costs without the usual requirements and restrictions like deductibles and enrollment periods. So when it comes to covering your medical bills, you can feel good about being a little extra. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. What would it feel like to you if you got an email from a constituent that said, Hey, I just think that you're doing a great job. And I just want to let you know <laughs> what you guys are both like, that would be weird. No, maybe you get those all the time. What, what would that feel like to you? <laughs> I got one of those last week. It's funny you say that. Cause I got one of those last week and I got to tell you, it literally made, didn't just make my day. It made my week. And mm -hmm. You know, look, we're, we're all pretty much the same. You know, if we go to a store and we receive terrible service, we're going to tell a thousand people about it. You know, we go to a store and someone takes great care of us and helps us. You know, we tend not to tell as many people. And it's a shame because um, it means a lot. You know, a pat on the back, a thank you goes a long ways. And the best ones are when they come from people uh, who politically disagree with me regularly, who express appreciation for uh, an initiative or a, a comment or uh, even a vote sometimes that they celebrate and uh, it goes a long ways. And I, I don't want to under, underestimate the humanity in Congress. You know, we're all human beings and we use the same reward system that all of you do in your homes with your families or kids and, and loved ones. And it's mm -hmm. the same in Congress. Uh, a little nice word goes a long ways. Mm. Brian, how would you feel if you got an email that was like representative? I, I didn't vote for you, but I just have to say that I, I can tell that you are working hard to represent our district. And I just wanted to let you know, how would that feel to you? It feels great. I would call them and ask them for the vote though. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, no, I, it would make me feel, it would make me feel fabulous. And uh, Dean's right. You know, we don't, you know, he's exactly right. You know, people typically will voice their frustrations more mm -hmm. than they will their pleasure. Yep. But it is, it's rare that we get that, unfortunately, but it, it does mean a lot because as Dean said, we're, we're human beings. And sometimes when you're having a rough day and you get that, that little pick me up, it helps. Yeah. And also it's, it's validation that your hard work is, is having a positive impact on somebody. That's the most important thing. Mm -hmm. That's what we all want uh, in life. That's what we all want in our careers is just to be yeah. able to make a difference. And if somebody actually tells us that we did make a difference, however small, it's very nice to hear. Mm. Sure is. It's one of the things I have advocated for with members of my community is to send a two sentence email just to your representative or Senator when they have done something that you appreciate, even if it is, it seems to you to be inconsequential, like, Hey, thanks for showing up at that kid's Eagle Scout ceremony. Mm -hmm. I appreciated that. Even if you think like, they don't care about that. I'm like, I guarantee you they do. <laughs> because 99% of the mail is like, how dare you? Imagine if 320 million people said, you know, this afternoon, I'm just going to send one nice message to yep. somebody. 320 yep. million messages. 
you know, it's it it doesn't take a lot to make a really significant difference. And mm -hmm. I think we've lost that in this day and age. And that is actually the beauty of the Internet and social media is that in the palm of our hand, we have extraordinary power mm -hmm. and the decision is ours and how we're going to use it. Are we going to use it for good? Are we going to use it to stoke fear and create division? And, mm -hmm. and we know we know how to do both. And we also recognize the consequences of both. And I'd like to remind people that it's really easy uh, to create a lot of change. Mm. If you could amend the Constitution, you get one Fitzpatrick amendment. <laughs> and that is what people will call it for eternity. What would your legacy amendment be, Brian? Uh, it would be um, amending Article 1 to install term limits for members of Congress. Currently, there is not term limits. I think mm -hmm. that if we could return Congress to a citizen legislature, which was always yeah. the intent of our founders, that you go to Congress, you lend your area of expertise, you go home, you live under the laws you help pass, and you make way for a new generation of leadership. I think that organic change through uh, the House and the Senate would be a very, very positive thing for our country. Mm -hmm. And Sharon, this is, this is going to come as a huge shock probably to everybody watching right now, but I totally agree. I'm signing <laughs> on to a bill right now that would, would, that would create term limits. How about that? A Democrat and Republican <laughs> agreeing about amending the United States Constitution. Mm -hmm. And for me, to me, it would be to codify how we run campaigns in this country uh, mm -hmm. and change the campaign finance structure. And as Brian said earlier, you know, look, look at best practices, identify... Uh, ways to re-empower people and re-engage them to reduce the, the money, to reduce the mean-spiritedness, and do it differently. I think that would be one of the most important amendments to the Constitution, because without that, as I said earlier, it's hard to get people to change their code of conduct without the law requiring mm -hmm, it. Mm -hmm. Uh, that has always been my position, is if I, would, if I get a McMahon amendment, it would be one of those two things. I love the, I love what you just said, Brian, like, go home and live under the laws you just helped pass. Yeah. <laughs> you yeah. might think twice if you know you're going home in four years. Like, yeah, I got to tell you, I was, I was an intern back in 1989 for Senator Patrick Leahy, mm -hmm. who announced his retirement this year. Mm -hmm. And uh, the fact that I was a <laughs> bushy-tailed college student in 1989 and the senator for whom I interned is now serving when I'm a member of Congress, mm -hmm. you know, says a lot. He's a wonderful man. But I think about the generations, in this case of Vermonters, who haven't been afforded even the chance to serve that great state. There is some truth. I think you need enough time to become good at it. I think oftentimes it takes a number of years to become you know, attuned to how something works and become educated enough to be successful. But when it becomes too long, you're actually preventing the most extraordinary work. And that requires uh, new voices and new ideas. And I totally agree. Mm. Yes, if we could change the power dynamic, change the power of money that we had that had the has a stranglehold on United States politics, and change the dynamic of forced congressional retirement. If we if we want things to change, we can't keep doing what we've always done. Turns right. out, <laughs> has uh, you know, I got to tell you change. too, Sharon. The truth is, and it's kind of an irony right now, but there is actually a lot of turnover in Congress, but not for the right reasons. We're, we're actually losing some of the best and the brightest future leaders, in, including a, a handful in the Republican side of the aisle that I, I have great faith in and, and great relationships and friendships who are leaving because it just is such a difficult and dysfunctional place mm -hmm. right now. And same with the number of Democrats. Um, that's the kind of turnover that I don't want to see. 
when people feel that they just can't do it. They, it's too much of a toll on their families. The, the safety and security issues, which unfortunately are becoming an issue to all of us, are taking a toll. And Congress should be a place that attracts uh, the best of America and supports that work and then also supports you moving on so someone can uh, do it after you in a meaningful and principled way. Mm. My husband and I were once in Jamaica and on the Jamaican television, it was election season in Jamaica. On Jamaican television was a public service announcement that said, if you see anybody who is running for office say anything negative about their opponent, you call this hotline. <laughs> and my husband and I were both like, what? Another reason to love Jamaica. <laughs> like there's a hotline to report being mean to your political opponent. Wow. Like, obviously wow. that was, that's not going to happen in the United States, obviously, <laughs> but that was just such an eye-opening difference yeah. in the political system. Like it is illegal to, in your campaign, criticize the other person who's running against you. You can only run on your own platform and not what you cannot run on a platform of attacking the other person, or you better, yeah. people are going to turn you in. They're going to call the hotline. Wow. <laughs> so again, I know that's not going to happen here, but it is an example of how the way we're currently doing things is not the only way of doing things. We could make different choices. Yeah. We don't have to change the law. If people simply rewarded the candidates who ran on a platform of, of decency and, you know, common ground and common sense, you know, mm -hmm. we wouldn't need to even, we wouldn't be having these discussions right now. The fact mm -hmm. is fear, look, fear is a very evocative human emotion. Uh, and when you use it as a tool, frankly, a political weapon, uh, and many have become very adept at it, it's really dangerous because when you mm -hmm. prey on people's fears, we act in a way that is no longer completely rational. That's just mm -hmm. true. And when that becomes the standard of politics and of campaigning, it's really, really destructive. And again, you know, that's voters' decision. Brian, I would love to hear you tell people what you love about being a Republican. Why should somebody become a Republican from your perspective? Well, I would, I would never tell anybody how to register. I mean, we all check different boxes on our voter registration form when we're 18 for a whole host of different reasons. For me, it was Ronald Reagan. This is a, a president who won 49 out of 50 states. Do you think we'll ever see that again? Uh, I don't think so, unfortunately. I viewed him as a bridge builder. I grew up in the era of, you know, hands across America, and, and it was just a very unifying feeling. We were doing our part to dismantle the oppressive Soviet Union, and it was just a, it was a, a very aspirational and inclusive era, I felt. Plus, I loved 80s music. <laughs> but no, that, that's, why, that's why I made the choice that I did. But again, I never judge anybody based on the decision they make because as Dean said, in, in this system, you, you pick one side or the other. And I you know, obviously made my choice for a number of reasons, but that doesn't dictate the, how I decide uh, on an issue or, or who I want to spend my time with. If you put conservative and progressive in a bowl and mix it up, you get common sense. And, you know, I, I respect conservatives, principal conservatives. I respect progressives. You know, we should, as representatives, be taking the very best ideas and perspectives from both. They're not mutually exclusive. Mm -hmm. In fact, I think we have to pay respects to both. And in my case, Sharon, you know, Hubert Humphrey was my hero growing up, you know, young mayor of Minneapolis in, in the late 1940s. 
in a community that was horrifically anti-Semitic and had terrible racial disparities. And as a young mayor, he took the very first steps to, to affect change. And uh, at the 1948 Democratic Convention in Philadelphia, Brian, Humphrey made a speech that's really not well recognized in which he implored that the Democratic Party get out of the shadow of states' rights and into the bright light of human rights. And half of the arena left, Democrats, booed him. But it was he, a white Scandinavian from Minnesota in the late 1940s that tried to inspire people to treat each other decently and with respect and equal opportunity and compassion. And you know, I want to try to inject a little bit of that back into our political discourse too. And it doesn't mean it's divisive, it's just the opposite. It's treating everybody, everybody with respect, politically, racially, economically, and humanely. I have one more question. I should point, out, I should point out, Sarah, and uh, I, I referenced uh, Ronald Reagan winning 49 out of 50 states. You know, the one state he did not win. <laughs> of course, it's Minnesota. Exactly. Of course. Mondale, Mondale. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I mean. Dean, Dean referenced, um, Dean referenced uh, you know, Hubert Humphrey's speech and, and, and how, how far we've drifted from that. Ronald Reagan delivered a speech in October, I believe, of 1980. It was at the base of the Statue of Liberty, talking yes. about what made America great and what makes America mm-hmm. great is our mm-hmm. immigrant heritage. Yes. Uh, at the base of the Statue of Liberty and how um, immigrants have built this country. And you look at that speech by Reagan and, and the speech delivered by Humphrey, and where has that gone? Mm-hmm. Yeah, people could listen just to two great speeches perfectly right there. Reagan's mm-hmm. speech about, about what it means to be an American and how anybody can come here and be an American is the only, pl- only place in the world. And Humphrey's speech about what really matters. Uh, mm-hmm. Boy, two and extraordinary. Abraham, and Abraham Lincoln saying, a house divided cannot stand. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, very apropos. Well mm-hmm. yep. I'm going to find those speeches. I'm going to put them on, put them on Instagrams. Good. <laughs> I'm going to put them on the Instagrams later today. I'm going to find <laughs> those speeches, the Instagrams. Um, that Those are great tips. I have one more question for you because we, I mean, I really could talk all day, but I, I want to, I want to wrap this up. If you could give Americans who are listening to this, if you could send them one message, if you could impart one piece of wisdom, or if you would like them to know something, what would that thing be, Brian? Be nice. Doesn't matter if you're a Democrat or Republican, just be a nice person and treat people with civility and respect and everything will be just fine. Very simple. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. How about you, Dean? And I'd say, keep the faith. We don't know what's ahead, but we do know uh, that we will determine what's ahead. And there's no better message than what Brian just shared. It's, it's why I serve in Congress. It's, it's our mission. And I think that is the answer. It's the answer not just to our domestic challenges. It's the answer to the global challenges. Uh, as we sit on edge now with uh, Vladimir Putin perhaps going to invade Ukraine, as we have nuclear-armed nations around the world that you know, uh, flash their warheads and send them into the sea as shows of force, Literally, it sounds so trivial, but be nice. We all, every single human being in the world wants the same things, to feel safety, security, and be afforded opportunity. And at the end of the day, it is security. And the irony is that humans can actually provide that to one another if we respect each other. That's Words my message. matter. Yes, words, so matter. words matter. The words that come out of your mouth become your legacy. 
just like you were referencing these two great speeches, those are the words that have had a decades long impact on each of you. And the words, whether we speak them from our mouth or type them with our fingers, the words that we are putting out there become the legacy we're leaving behind. So choose them carefully. And actions matter too. Words met with actions are extraordinarily powerful. This has been delightful. I know every governor who is listening to this is going to be like, can we just like copy and paste times 1000 and just fill the United States government with gentlemen like you. So I'm really grateful for your time. Thank you so much for being here today. And I hope this is the, not the last time we meet. I hope so too. Thank you, Sharon. Thank you. See you back in Washington, Brian. Thank you so much for listening to the Sharon Says So podcast. I am truly grateful for you. And I'm wondering if you could do me a quick favor. Would you be willing to follow or subscribe to this podcast or maybe leave me a rating or a review? Or if you're feeling extra generous, would you share this episode on your Instagram stories or with a friend? All of those things help podcasters out so much. This podcast was written and researched by Sharon McMahon and Heather Jackson. It was produced by Heather Jackson, edited and mixed by our audio producer, Jenny Snyder, and hosted by me, Sharon McMahon. I'll see you next time.